So this morning we get to look at a eunuch, and we're going to finish up chapter 8 of Acts. But before we jump into that, I want to share a couple passages from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And he also said in chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So this morning, guys, we get to see one more time the magnetic draw of Christ. And we're going to see after Philip's public ministry in Samaria, he now moves into a private ministry in Gaza. So we're going to pick it up this morning. We got through the first 25 verses last week. If you look at verse 26 with me this morning here, we see a message from an angel, and it says this, And an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, he goes from ministering to the multitude. You can glance quickly at verse 6 and 7 in this chapter. He had a a phenomenal chance to evangelize a whole group in Samaria. We see 3,000 people get saved, uh, verse 6 and 7. And now, the gospel is going to one. Not thousands, but one. And do you guys know this morning that God cares about the one? He does. Every single person. The heart of our God, the will of our God is that none should perish. But as Jesus said there in John chapter 5, you're not willing to come to me. And I believe that the Holy Spirit gives everyone an opportunity. Aren't we told that he is at work today in the whole world convicting or convincing people of the truth, of their sin, of their need of a Savior? I believe God gives, but not all are willing to come. You see, guys, We see Philip, he's been given to the Lord, to whatever ministry God has called him to do. And Philip was the kind of evangelist who was willing to leave public ministry. Okay, And it was exciting. Would you guys have been pretty stoked to be there 2,000 years ago and seeing all these people coming to faith? getting baptized, John and Peter showing up, the apostles who walked with Jesus and preaching and testifying. That would have been great to be a part of. But here, Philip was willing to go and help one soul okay, to find peace, to go into a private place where only God could see. So Philip was obedient to the Spirit, going where God had led him. So God's method for winning others does not use organizational uh, machinery, worldly attractions, or high-powered promotions. Okay, The church today puts on a lot of events, huge crusades. Tens of thousands of people will come out. But you guys know those who are coming to Christ, all these efforts that we do, those that get saved out of those is a very, very small percentage of those who are actually coming to Christ. Most people who are one to Jesus Christ, it's done through discipleship. It's done through that one-on-one relational uh, relationship. Uh, so we see here this Philip with uh, the story with Philip. Okay, uh, it's a neat one, and God uses 
just dedicated men and women who will simply obey. And that's all Philip did. Okay, So this is Philip's story. And would you guys say it's a pretty cool story? Absolutely. How will your story read? How will your story read? Do you guys know that today you're writing a chapter? There are things going on today. Now, you may think life is boring, but you guys need to understand, life is exciting. Life, your life, may be boring, but life is exciting, okay? And it's your story that's boring. I look at Philip, and this is pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? But what did Philip do? He obeyed God. And let me tell you what, in following the Lord, in obeying Him, things get exciting, okay? They are just exciting. So, we see um, for us today, really, um, <laughs> um, Philip, he, he had an a, a adventure here, even with one person, okay? Um, in my prayer for you guys, I would love that our lives end up being a page turner, you know? Wouldn't it be cool just for our lives to be a thriller, you know? And we have that opportunity, and we get to do life together. So I want to encourage you guys to go for it and do what Philip did. Look at verse 27. So he arose and went. I mean, that's what he did. He just listened to God. He arose and went and got to do some pretty cool things. So let's read about his story here. Uh, he has this meeting with a eunuch. Let's pick it up in verse 27. So he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all 
the cities till he came to Caesarea. Pretty cool, huh? So back to verse 27. Ethiopian, okay? That word is actually made up from two Greek words meaning to burn and face. So to have a burnt face. The New Testament takes special note of this prominent black man here. Um, and he's a eunuch, okay? Because he was a eunuch, he was prohibited to worship, to be worshiping in the congregation of the people. You can jot down Deuteronomy 23.1. It tells us this. He who is emasculated by the crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. You might be like, that's pretty brutal. That's pretty detailed. Uh, check out the ESV version. It's even a little more graphic than that. But I want you guys to note that he travels so far to worship even though he's debarred. So it really attests to his godliness. So this eunuch is a pretty cool guy. So in later scriptures, God took special note of godly eunuchs. In Isaiah chapter 56, verse 4 and 5, it says this, Thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose to plea, or who chooses what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall not be cut off. Isn't that cool? So, moving on now. Um, the queen here, okay? Candace the queen. Uh, the name was not a proper name of an individual, but more that of a dynasty of Ethiopian queens, kind of like Pharaoh or the Caesars. Okay, does that make sense? So they went to Jerusalem to worship, okay? Jerusalem to worship. Why the interest in worshiping at the temple all the way down um, in Ethiopia? Well, the monarchy of Ethiopia claims a trace genealogy all the way back, catch this, to King Solomon. You guys remember uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, Queen Sheba, Solomon, okay? Uh, you guys can check it out. But their son, uh, Menelik I, to King Hillel Selesi, uh, who was deposed in 1974. Some 3,000 years, guys, okay? That's pretty cool to think about. Um, and that ties into something I want to share with you guys at the end of study. Uh, but in those days, some people who were weary of many gods, loose morals of the day of the nations, they would come, okay? They came to Judaism, and there they found one God in very strict moral standards that would give life Meaning That's why people of all nations were drawn to Judaism. And if they accepted Judaism, they were circumcised and they were called proselytes. You guys have heard that term before. If they didn't want to go that, to that length but continue to attend the Jewish synagogues and to read the Jewish scriptures, they were called God-fearers. So this Ethiopian must have been one of these searchers who came to rest in Judaism, either as a proselyte or a God-fearer. And verse 31 then tells us, how can, any, or how can I, unless I have someone or guides me? So here, 
He is headed back home. And Philip shows up, catches him here reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asks him, what's he reading? Does it make sense? And he simply says, hey, you know, I've come to worship. I'm reading the Holy Scriptures. How am I to understand this? Okay, this is what I want to know. I want to know God. I want to worship Him rightly. But how am I going to know unless someone guides or someone explains it to me? Do you guys know that's really my purpose for being here this morning? That's all I'm doing is we're going through the Word of God and I'm trying my best to explain it to you guys. This is where I want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 with you guys. So if you flip there quickly, this is one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. But in Nehemiah, if you guys are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, didn't this man accomplish a lot in a short time? Absolutely. He rallied the troops there. Hey, man, Jerusalem's a mess, okay? The walls are down. <laughs> it's laid desolate. We got, we got to build again. We got to get things going. God deserves this, okay? And these people had a mind to work, but they did something. He was doing something with these people, and we find it here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, okay? So they read distinctly from the book. What? All this work to get done. Who has time to study the Bible? They did, and I think that's why they got so much work done, okay? So they read distinctly from the book. And that's something we want to do at Freedom, don't we? Okay? Because I could get up and we could chew on a few scriptures here or a verse there and have a nice, cute, topical study that will make us all warm and fuzzy inside. And you guys, be blessed, be warm, have a great week. Um, or we could take the Word of God seriously and say, hey, God, what do you say? Okay? We don't want to skip around. My goal is if the Lord tarries in 20, 30 years of us being a fellowship, you guys know in August we'll be year 10 already. We'll be celebrating 10 years We've gotten through about half the Bible. So I'm hoping, because there's some big books left, <laughs> that we can knock out the rest in about 15 years. Wouldn't that be exciting to take in the whole counsel of God? I think it would be. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them understand the reading. You guys understand, when we are partaking in Bible study, it is so important that we are inductively, we're digging in to the scriptures that it's making sense. I don't know how many people, they just read through, hey, I read the word. But they have absolutely no understanding of what they're reading. I didn't know that's what it's talking about. I've been reading the Bible my whole life and I just found out who Jesus really is. <laughs> you know, Getting a grasp on the gospel finally. You see, guys, when we come to the scriptures, we need to have observation of what we're reading, interpretation of it, and then the application of it. On the back of your bulletins this morning, you'll find listen, learn, love. Okay, so as we're observing, okay, we're listening to the word, okay, the interpretation of it, we're learning what it's teaching, what's the point of it, and then to love, as you guys know, I think that's the application of the scriptures as a whole, right? If we're really doing what the Word says, we're going to be loving God and loving others. That seems to always be the application of the Scriptures. So, what does it say? What does it mean? And how do I apply it? God's given His Word for a purpose. And we have that privilege as we take it seriously and we teach the Scriptures verse by verse 
to do that. And I would ask you guys to pray for me as I prepare to teach and explain that there would be clarity, that I wouldn't be getting off on tangents and things that the Holy Spirit didn't intend in writing these things to us. So, let's go back to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read again to you guys verse 32 to 34. Okay? The place in the scripture which he read was this. So this, try to picture this. This guy's headed back home and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay? Which, at this time, this was shortly after Jesus had died. Okay? And risen from the dead. Do you think that this Ethiopian just maybe had come to Jerusalem to worship and he had heard of this supposed Messiah who had come, who had done all these miracles and who had taught all these things? Do you think he was maybe hoping? Because that's a long trip. Hey, I'm coming to see this Jesus. But I came and I heard that they crucified him. He's not there. Well, He's reading this out of Isaiah. He was led, and this is actually a prophecy of Jesus. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And we know Jesus did that as he went to the cross. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So we're told in verse 34, The eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? He didn't know whom he was speaking of. So God is having this man read from one of the key messianic prophecies pointing to Yahshua. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why did this man get saved in this account? I believe it's because he was already seeking the Lord. He was listening to the word of God. Where does faith come from? It comes by hearing the word. How will they believe unless there's a preacher? You guys understand how important it is for us to get the word out to others. You see, in Isaiah 53 was the chapter, chapter Philip used that is a very wonderful, beautiful picture of the Lamb of God. So look at the question in the second part of verse 33. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He died. So who will pass on his name? Who will pass on this heritage? Philip probably said, it's a lament, but unwarranted because of Messiah. He's coming back. He's not dead. (laughs) He's coming back. And then we see in verse 35, you know, and again, Philip, he's called to be an evangelist. Okay, we see that later in chapter 21, verse 8. And like any wise evangelist, he began communicating the good news of Jesus Christ at the point of interest and concern of his hearer. You see, unwise evangelists and unwise salespeople sometimes use a prepared pitch, and that does not speak to the concerns of their customer, or a message that proves irritating, uh, like scratching um, where, where it doesn't itch. And I think we as Christians really need to be in tune to the spirit of what's going on. Okay, um, I love Ray Comfort. I love 
how he evangelizes. He uses the law. He's a little dogmatic. This is the way you do it every single time in sharing with someone. And I've never agreed with that <laughs> because I've gotten to lead a lot of people to Jesus Christ in almost every single time. There's something very unique that God has already been doing in their life. And that's where we need to be praying and in tune. Meet them where they're at. Okay, Brother yesterday got an opportunity to share with somebody and he spent two hours with his neighbor before being able to share. But it was one of those things, just waited for the opportunity and the conversation to come up about Jesus. And then we'll talk about the gospel. you know. And he's just trying to, where are they at? Where are they coming from? Trying to understand and that's exactly what we see Philip do here. This man, <laughs> you're in Isaiah. Great, let's start there. <laughs> you know, we'll talk. And then again, we see here, verse 36 with me, guys. It says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You see, the Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. And it's through him that we have power to witness. It's through him. Jump back to chapter 1 with me again. Verse 8. But you shall receive power. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit doing this work. The Holy Spirit was meeting with this eunuch. He's on his way back. We don't know how far he already was on his uh, return trip. But we just saw earlier in the chapter, they were ministering where? In Samaria. Okay? It wasn't just Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They're going now to the outer parts of the earth proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, being a witness. So the Spirit opened the way for Philip to come to this man. It was the Spirit who opened the Scriptures to the seeking sinner. And it was the Spirit opened the sinner's heart to the Savior. You guys can't save anyone. You guys know that? Amen. You're not the Savior. <laughs> God is. You know? And the Holy Spirit is the one. Man, I've preached to people till I was blue in the face, and they just did not get it, <laughs> you know? And then there's other times you're just sharing the gospel, and you can just sense the Holy Spirit is at work and doing something in them, okay? And they receive Christ as their Savior. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit. We're doing our part, faithfully preaching the Word, and the Holy Spirit comes, and He does His work. So a man can't be saved who doesn't understand what he's doing, okay? You can't just like... Oh, I tripped. <laughs> I'm saved. Just happened. Just got saved. You know, no. <laughs> God has a method in how people come to salvation. And only the Spirit can teach the sinner the truths of the gospel. Correct? Because an unbeliever, we're told in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded them to the gospel. At least the light of the gospel shine upon them and they get saved, Right? Okay? But it's the Holy Spirit who will illuminate. Satan doesn't want anybody to come to know Jesus Christ. Okay? He's a little bum that he's headed to hell for all time. And he wants to take down as many people with him as possible. And he's good at deceiving. He is the father of lies. Okay? People are okay in their sin. 
They're so okay with sin today, they don't want to acknowledge their need for a Savior, for God to redeem them. But the Holy Spirit's the one. Hey, here's truth. <laughs> here's some light. <laughs> Let you see what you need. So, Warren Wearsby said this, when the Spirit brings a prepared servant and a contrite sinner together, there will be a harvest. Isn't that cool? And I think about how many people are out there today. They know they're a sinner, they're looking for a Savior, but there hasn't been a brother or sister who's been faithful to share with them yet. They're out there, guys. You know, I don't know how many times I've spoken with people through the years. Why hasn't anyone ever told me this? Man, if I just knew, you know, we have that privilege, guys. So the Ethiopian, he proved his faith by baptism. Okay, it was by baptism and circumcision that a Gentile entered the Jewish faith. And in the New Testament times, baptism was largely adult baptism. The first recorded infant baptism was when the Roman Emperor Valens insisted that his dying son get baptized. And that was in 370 A.D. The first time we ever see a child baptized is 300 years after Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And then the Catholic Council of Mela made infant baptism a law in 416 A.D. Infant baptism is... Uh, sometimes referred to as pedo-baptism or the Greek peis, which means child or child baptism. It's, uh, uh, yeah. And then uh, we have the believer's baptism, okay? The credo-baptism or the Latin word credo meaning I believe. So only believing individuals who personally conf confess faith in Jesus, therefore excluding small children. And we here at Freedom Fellowship won't do a baby baptism because we don't see it ever happen in Scripture. We don't see it taught anywhere in Scripture. What we do see taught, for just an example, what we have set before us here, what must I do to be baptized? What does Philip tell him? You believe that Jesus is the Son of God with all your heart and you can be baptized. You believe with all your heart, then you can be baptized. Excuse me, but babies can't believe. And I think we're actually damning children as they grow in the belief, the lie that, hey, I got baptized when I was a baby. That's my ticket to eternal life. That's my ticket into heaven. And you guys might be like, Pastor, I don't know if I agree with that. Guys, I've literally talked to hundreds of people who have been baptized who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ who think they're okay because they got baptized. That denomination has lied to them and they have a false security. They're living a false hope. Their hope is in getting wet? No, our only hope of salvation is in Jesus Christ, period, guys. So, enough about baptism. <laughs> um, this man, this eunuch, isn't he a great example of a seeker? You know, coming from a foreign land, something completely foreign to him. This doesn't make sense. And I feel that way. Even today, we live in a Christian nation, right? 
But for people who are stepping out and seeking God, that is even foreign to us in this Christian nation because it is radical. The way of the world we have embraced as a Christian nation, that being a true Christian is actually set apart and radically different from what we are doing as a people. So this man... He wanted, to, he wanted to go for it. Hey, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> Why can't I, you know, well, let's get baptized. Let's make this happen. Let's get it done. Um, so really, it symbolized three things, okay? It shows uh, baptism is a symbolism of cleansing. So this man being cleansed, okay? Uh, his soul being bathed by the grace of God. We also look at baptism. It's a mark of a clean break. Um, I love, I've seen some missionaries, they'll oftentimes take people down to a river. And it's cool because the missionaries will have them come into the water from one side, they get baptized, and they rise anew, and they have them actually exit the other side of the river, kind of as a picture. Hey, new life, new direction, okay? <laughs> you ain't going back the same way. Um, we should do that at the quarry sometime. <laughs> you come in this way, you gotta walk all the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, and then also, baptism is a real union with Christ, okay? Um, as the waters closed over the man's head, it seemed to be that picture of being, you know, dead with Christ or to die with Christ and then to emerge, to be risen <laughs> with Christ. A beautiful picture. So have you been baptized? If not, why not? Okay. Well, I, I missed my chance. You know, I'm a little too old to get baptized now. No! <laughs> you're not supposed to do it when you're a baby. <laughs> you do it when you believe. And let me tell you what, people are coming to faith in Christ when they're three years old, four, five, six, 12, 20, 30, 80, 90. You know, people are still coming to know Jesus at all different points in their life. So let's take a look here. Verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Isn't this cool? So that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on rejoicing. So Philip was caught up from a ministry uh, for a ministry elsewhere. Kind of like a mini rapture here. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I picture like the Spirit just grabbed him. Boom. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. You did your job here. Something else for you, buddy. Boom. <laughs> you know, who, who knows where else you know, what else the Lord all had for Philip. But uh, that's how I see this. And the cool part, okay, is that the treasurer went away rejoicing. It's cool that Philip did that, but how cool. This man's life is forever changed, and he gets to go home rejoicing. So when Philip preached Jesus in Samaria, there was great joy. We read in verse 8. And when he presented Jesus in the desert, he sent the new believer on his way rejoicing. So joy is one of the evidences of true conversion. We have joy in Christ. Circumstances might not change, but if you have faith in Christ, you are now in Him. You are heaven-bound. There is just a joy that a true believer has. It was said of the rich young ruler that he went away sad. And it's said about this eunuch that he went away rejoicing. So this world is not about the stuff of this world not about how rich you guys can get. You want to have true, lasting joy, fulfillment in your life, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That often makes me think of Luke chapter 15. You guys remember that's the chapter where things keep getting lost, 
right? We're told that the, the, the shepherd who finds this lost sheep, and when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulders, what? Rejoicing, right? We also read of the woman who had lost a coin, and then she said, rejoice with me. I found my piece of, you know, this coin which was lost. And then, of course, you all know the prodigal son. We have the father who had lost a son. And he said, bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. And they began to be merry. So there's always joy in a person's salvation, guys. There's a joy there. C.S. Lewis said the best, this best regarding joy. Did you guys enjoy yesterday's Sonny's teaching? I got to look through. She quoted C.S. Lewis quite a bit. I'm like, that's fun. I'm quoting him too this week. <laughs> anyways, he said this. Anyways, the reason I just said that, C.S. Lewis is good. <laughs> Pick up his stuff. Read Mere Christianity. If you're a believer in Christ and haven't read that book, that should be like the Bible and the next book you read, Mere Christianity. Good stuff. Anyways, moving on. He said this. He said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Christian, we have so much. So much. Receive. Receive well. Keep yourself in the grace of God. Keep yourself in that place where you can receive the blessings of being a kid of the King. Stay there, saint. I love Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. There's nothing better than being in the presence of the Lord. It's just good. And where does that happen? Well, only here at church, at our church. No, that's a lie. <laughs> God's a big God. He is alive. He doesn't sleep or slumber. You wake up in the middle of the night, you can be in the presence of God because He is there with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And there is nothing like being in the presence of God Repent, we're told, right? Why? Because there will be refreshing that comes from being in the presence of God. We can turn to Him at any time, saint. And I encourage you guys to do that. It's just good. It is good. I love seeing the pictures of you young adults who are at the RISE conference this weekend. What a great opportunity to worship God, to be in His Word, to be with other believers. Man, that's why retreats, conferences are so good, you know? It's not that we can't be with the Lord, but there's just something special when, hey, I'm taking a whole day or two or three just carving that out or a morning on Saturday to hang out with a bunch of sisters at church or, hey, I'm just taking a day. I know I've only got a few vacation days a year, but I'm going to take one of those days and I'm just going to go and get away with the Lord. I'm just going to go on a prayer walk or just get with Him. You know, we, if we take that time and purposely carve it out just for him, God always blesses. I've never had a time where I've carved out that it was just like, oh, I regretted that. What a waste. What a bummer, you know. 
not always easy, but it always ends up being good and what's needed because when you're in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So Psalm 1611, if you don't have that underlined in your Bibles, you should. All right, so wrapping up Philip. Okay, look at verse 40 with me. He's now in a ministry in, in Azotus. It tells us that uh, Philip was found in Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Can you guys picture Philip here? You know, he's just like, okay, God just raptured me. <laughs> just put me somewhere. I'm on my way to Caesarea. And as he's going, we don't, we're not told how far he had to go. But as he went to Caesarea, everywhere he went, he was just preaching Christ. I kind of feel like this verse is what we're supposed to do in life. Okay? Because the one place I know we are going for sure is heaven. We're just passing through. And as we're traveling our way, <laughs> making our way there, we just preach Jesus on the way. Everywhere we go, hey, we get to talk Jesus. It's good. So, verse 40, okay, uh, as at us, it's Ashdod today, okay, of the Gaza Strip. Uh, it's the first of three ports, uh, port cities there. You have uh, Hafia and Elat, which is 20 miles south of Tel Aviv. So until he came to Caesarea. So that could have been some 40 miles. We don't know for sure. But that was quite a truck. <laughs> you can't, they didn't have cars back then. <laughs> Guys, this could have probably taken a good week if he was stopping and preaching everywhere. Um, but the last we know of him, he's married. And Philip settled down. And you can read of that in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. So what did we learn from Philip? Okay, He's a pretty cool guy, isn't he? What did we learn from Philip? Well, Philip was not a man to act on his own authority. It's one thing I saw about him. He just did what God asked him to do. Nor one who sought to carry out a mission in his own power. Okay? He didn't have his game plan, his business plan to get people saved. <laughs> okay? um, nor one who sought to carry... Or sorry, he was also one uh, who was a God-sent servant. Okay? Um, and a spirit-controlled worker. We also see that when the Spirit of the Lord directed Philip to go to a certain place, he arose and just went. Okay, God went. I pray often that I'm doing what God wants me to do. I have a feeling that I'm going to be a part of this church family to the day I die or he comes and gets me. But honestly, to let you guys know, if God would say, Landon, you're to take your family now and go here you probably wouldn't see me next week. Okay, It's one of those things, and I would hope the same for each and every one of you guys, that if God tells you to go, you just go. I think that's one of the coolest things I see about our brother Philip. Man, the Lord wants me here. Because ultimately, who's calling the shots, guys? It's him. It's his plan. It's his church, and we're all to just do our part. That's all we need to do. Be faithful to whatever God's asking us to do. So he had this willingness, okay? So when the Spirit told Philip um, to speak to a certain person, he obeyed with a cheerful heart. All right, let's go. It's been cool being a part of this radical revival taking place here in Samaria, but whatever you want, let's go. So the, this is Philip's story. So how will your story read? How will your story read? 
throw your mind windows wide open. It really can be an awesome story. Now that you've discovered God, you'll find out it's a continuous, uh, continuous discovery. That's one thing I love about Jesus. There is always something new. There's always an excitement about doing this, doing that, going there, meeting with so-and-so. It's like, okay, there's something else to learn, something else to discover. So each day is a rich and with new aspects of him and his working. So God wants you to write a good story of your life. Bad decisions make bad stories. You guys understand that? Bad decisions. God will not be mocked. <laughs> what a man sows, he will reap. That's just a reality. We're not little puppets. We're not little robots. Okay? We have choices. Bad choices make bad stories. You mess up, God says, okay, let's make a story out of this. So, decisions come into your life like, <clears throat> say, Joseph. Okay? You guys remember him? Okay, thing goes down with Potiphar's wife. Oh, great. <laughs> Thrown in jail again. You know, what's going on? And stuff. So he decides, I don't want to do this. You know, I, I don't want this to be my story. You know, he stays faithful to God. Okay, and he, he was stuck for a while. And some of us, there is routine in life. This is what I do. But you be faithful. Keep making the right choices. You don't know what's going to happen. It's the same thing, guys. Your story, if you're married, your wife, your husband's going to be a part of your story, your kids are going to be a part of your story, your story is going to affect other people. So be encouraged. Make the good choices. You see, God is still love hungry. That's one thing I know of him. And he's desiring to pour out his love upon new Phillips. Isn't the eyes of the Lord going to and fro, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him? He's looking for those people. He wants to pour out his love upon people. But are you going to be like a Philip? Whatever, Lord. I'm yours. Whatever you want. So find souls dead to God, looking sadly out with hungry eyes, and bring them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you again for our brother Philip. God, and I do pray for each and every one of us and myself God, that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit would be speaking, that we'd be faithful to what you've set before us and what you're calling us to. Lord, we are living in a world that is in desperate need of you, Jesus. They need a Savior. Help us to be faithful to share your love with them. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to partake in communion to conclude our time this morning. Um, if I could have a few of the guys start handing out the communion right now. The rest of you guys, I asked you to mark Zephaniah chapter 3. I want you to open up there real quick. Now, we just talked about this Ethiopian treasurer who came. Thank you, brother. And there's this little bitty prophecy that's given about the Ethiopians. Okay, We'll take a look at Zephaniah chapter 3. 
Look at verse 10 with me. It says, From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, okay, this man, eunuch, had come to worship, right? My worshipers, um, the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring my offering. Okay? So this man was the treasurer for the queen. Okay? I think the Ethiopians have a special offering that they're going to bring to the Messiah when he comes. And do you know when the treasurer here that we read of this morning in Acts chapter 8 showed up, the Messiah wasn't there. He wasn't there. But we're told that they will bring an offering. Now, could be, could not be, I don't know. How many of you guys know Chuck Missler? Familiar with that brother? Okay. He's a Bible teacher. Uh, I think he's still living in Idaho. Um, his wife Nancy went home to be with the Lord last year. But he's a phenomenal Bible teacher. And I got to have lunch with him. The Vandermosses were there. I don't know if you guys remember him sharing on this. But he thinks that the Ethiopians have the Ark of the Covenant. There's been a tradition there for over 2,600 years where they have something concealed there. Um, and there's a tribal family that has been uh, stationed to stand guard, protect whatever's in there. But they have a replica of what is down in this cave being stored um, and they march it around once a year in a parade. And sure enough, it's, uh, it's the Ark of the Covenant, the replica thing that they're carrying around. And you read a prophecy like this, that the Ethiopians are going to bring this offering to the Messiah. You know, It could be the Ark of the Covenant when he returns one day. And it often makes me wonder that at this time, did this Ethiopian that we read of today, was he bringing the ark with him looking for the Messiah that day? I don't know. Could be, could not be. But there's this one little passage in here. They have an offering for our Messiah, which I think is pretty darn cool. But the big picture is, whether you're Ethiopian, it doesn't matter what tribe, what tongue you speak, God is wanting those all to come and to be worshipers of him. And we have a privilege to bring ourselves to him as an offering, as an offering. And oftentimes, guys, when we come to the Lord's table, we're remembering what offering? His offering, his sacrifice. He came and he offered his life for you, for me. But sometimes, guys, I think we need to come to the table also thinking of an offering to bring too. Yeah, he gave his life, but we're also called to give our lives to him, aren't we? So this morning as we partake together of uh, the table, the bread, and the blood, I'd ask you guys just to get before him and get real. Thank him for all that he gave, his sacrifice, that offering. But be real with him. If you're in a place where, God, I don't know if I, I'm willing to lay it all down. <laughs> be honest with him and ask him to help. Okay, Be real with him. And if you are in that place, God, my life is completely yours, whatever you want. Here I am. Thank you. We can have communion together. We commune in what? <laughs> Your life is mine. My life is yours. That's what Jesus has done. So once you guys just spend a couple moments with the Lord on your own, and then I will uh, close us together in prayer. Yeah, Father, we are thankful that we can have communion with you because of your, your sacrifice that you made. 
God, to be forgiven. What a gift. And it's so much more than that. God, you told us that you call us friends. Lord, in being your friends, you tell us what's up, what's going on. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that we get to be a part of that at this time in history. The unique things that you are doing right now, right here, Father, all over. I do pray again and ask, Father, that you'd help us just to be willing and open, Father, to your leading, whatever you would have. We thank you, Jesus, God, that you are um, really our forerunner. You've set the example. You've set the course. God, help us to follow you closely. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Great. So, if you guys can hang out, we're going to have a cleaning party. I know windows got done on the first floor, correct? Windows downstairs still need to get done and upstairs? Yep. So there's windows. And if you are hanging out to clean, um, I'd encourage you guys, you guys ever walk into a place where, hey, this just got cleaned, and you look around. No, it didn't. Look at this and this and that. We all have different eyes. So <laughs> grab some cleaning stuff, walk around, because you might see something that somebody else missed or didn't see. But we try to do this once a year just to clean up real good. So if you're able to hang out, uh, that's great. Also, next week, we have potluck. So it would be great uh, if you guys would join us. It's always a great time to fellowship, get to know some new people. Yeah. Sound good? All right, Joe. Oh.